Welcome to Communion and Shalom. In this podcast, we are exploring how the biblical and historic Christian faith can engage sexuality, ethnicity, culture, and our local communities as we pursue the flourishing of God's kingdom. Our goal is to engage these topics charitably and with nuance. While we're largely shaped by our side B, post-liberal, localist, and multi-ethnic perspectives, and we'll explain each of these perspectives on the show, we're eager to engage a variety of voices. Hello! Today we are talking about a controversial topic for sound terminology. <laughs> yeah, it's often can be very divisive in the Christian churches in the US and around the globe. Mm-hmm. I hope that we can give a fair representation of all perspectives. It is just TJ and I speaking today. We don't have any guests, but we really hope that we can give a full perspective that is really helpful to understand the different reasons that people have as they come to this topic around what labels and terminology they may or may not use when describing sexual orientation and such. Mm -hmm. There's been a lot of ink spilled on this question, so we're not the first to talk about this, of course. And you can find other conversations and we might include other conversations in our show notes. But I thought it was important enough for us to talk about because it keeps, still comes up even now, you know, like I've been part of the side B community for three years or so, and it still comes up among some, and it came up three years ago as well. So I'm happy to talk mm-hmm. about it here. Let's first talk about the terms we use to describe ourselves, just to kind of position ourselves in a conversation. And it will help us build a foundation for the other the related topics we'll talk about afterwards. So David Frank, how about you start? What term do you describe yourself? And can you talk about your history with the label and like why do you find it helpful or useful right. for you in your life? So, Yeah, I mean, for a long time, you know, didn't even really know, you know, in high school, I was definitely just like, well, no, I, I'm not gay. Like that was kind of the only language, even though I was experiencing same-sex attractions. And so I was trying to rid myself of them. Mm-hmm. And in college, I think is the first time that I used the word gay to describe myself because I was having uh, coffee with someone who described themselves as gay. Mm-hmm. And I could just say, yeah, I'm gay too. And it was just a, a simple way of communicating that I also am attracted to men predominantly rather than women. Mm. So it was just at that point, it was kind of casual, but in other circumstances, I definitely wouldn't use that language uh, with most people, mm. um, afraid of what they might think of me. And so other times I would use language around, oh, I'm same-sex attracted or, you know, I, I'm attracted to to men mm-hmm. or something along those lines. And And then I'd say in the last, I don't know, five years, occasionally throw it around uh, queer as a more umbrella term because it's like sometimes people want to pigeonhole with gay and then queer they're just like oh we kind of didn't know what that means it says something but doesn't say a lot and very often I just say I'm not straight Mm -hmm. because it's a lot easier to say what you're not without uh, pigeonholing you into what people might think when you're trying to describe it in a more positive sense so actually, I, I, yeah, it, it really depends on the context of what language I'm using, who I'm talking to, what I, what I think their framework is. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I can just say, oh, I'm a, I'm a side B 
uh, Christian sure. or something. Yeah. And, and maybe they know what that means. Yeah. I get that you're pretty open to shift to the, to, you know, shift your terminology to a certain situ- situation, but is there one that feels most uh, sincere to you or not really? What does that work uh, for you? Uh, oh, it, it, dep- it still kind of depends on the week. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I think, uh, yeah, it really changes. Sometimes it's like, oh yeah, queer or gay feel really at home. And other times it's like, ah, they'll sit a little heavy and, and I will just be like, nah, it's just same sex attracted. And it, it's, I, I kind of actually like queer and same sex attracted maybe the most because they both feel like umbrella terms yeah. that don't pigeonhole in that. What I mean by that is let's say you're equally attracted to men and women. Mm-hmm. You could follow, you could fall under the umbrella of queer or the, and still the umbrella of same sex attracted. Yeah, I get that. I know uh, a friend who would say that she's like 80% attracted to men and like 20% attracted to women. And, but that's enough for that. She would just call herself queer. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. And so, and I say gay people assume that it'd be impossible for me to fall in love with a woman. And that's just not how it works. And it's not been my experience. So mm-hmm. I think that's why I like using the more, the more general ones. Mm-hmm. Have, have you ever had anyone in your life who ever told you what to say? Or has it mostly been your decision figured it out with your kind of your intimates, your local mm-hmm. people about how to talk about? When I shared a kind of testimony on the aspect of my sexuality and my walk with Jesus, mm-hmm. my pastor had hesitation with me describing my sexuality as queer. Mm-hmm. And in that, I, I knew my audience. And so I, I did want to use the, the word queer, but I purposely, I don't know if people caught this nuance, but I would always use that, use those adjectives to describe my sexuality uh-huh. and not to describe me just to add this kind of like extra layer of, of distance so that they would know that I'm not trying to like overly identify with this in case they were worried. Got it. And then, and I just told my pastor, like, I'm not predominantly interested in ministering to in, in this sharing people who are worried about using the right language, but I'm really, you know, hoping that I can minister to people who would actually associate with that experience, who might look inside their own, you know, their own life and, and say, oh, this person says, you know, like he has experienced a queer sexuality and he's following Jesus that, you know, connects with them. Yeah. And he's like, oh yeah, that totally makes sense. And so, but yeah, I definitely have other church members who are very suspicious of, of using that language mm-hmm. of using gay or queer. And we can talk a bit later why some reasons people give, um, and, and I, and I had a, an acquaintance who didn't want me to even, even same sex, like I am same sex attracted was felt too close <laughs> to identifying with, with this part of my sexuality. Uh-huh. So people have given that input. They want you to say instead, or to not use I am language oh, okay. to talk more directly to like, oh, these are experiences I've had, or these are attractions that have been there mm-hmm. and, and just so speak in that kind of, I don't know, you know, whatever that is like, that's not, not third person, but you know, just more like one layer of distance. I'm talking about my experiences mm-hmm. and my feelings, not about me. me. Yeah. I get, yeah. yeah. I think we should take a step back just to be clear for any audience who's more new to the conversation. What we mean by maybe like 
queer terminology, which will come up and maybe mentioned again, is words like queer or gay or lesbian or bisexual or um, like, I guess those are the main ones, right? That people might use in, in yep. contemporary U.S. English and other Englishes as well. And then it's sometimes in the mm -hmm. Christian community contrasted with safe sex attracted. So that's, we're not going to get into this too much. We'll talk about it, I think, in a future podcast more, but that's kind of the some of the common options on offer that people might use mm -hmm. to talk mm -hmm. about their sexuality. Or as you said, there's even some people who want you to even take more distance, like make more layers between describing yourself and having a sexuality that's not straight mm -hmm. or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So what, what about you, TJ? What does uh, this look like for you? I actually, I use the term queer and I use it for a bunch of reasons, but one is pretty similar to yours. It's more of an umbrella term, less of a pigeonhole term. Let me say more on that, but first I'll go back from even when I was younger and kind of talk about the progression of terms that I've used. When I was young, I, I kind of noticed I was same-sex attracted in, when I was in high school age, you know? I didn't have a word to describe it, and it was pretty, it's weird. It's like it wasn't the most prominent thing in my life, even though it was part of my life. I was focused on other things, like other things are more important. I think about my friends or my schoolwork or like things I like to do, my hobbies. And then even in college, I went to a Christian college. Still, I knew I was, had a lot of, I was same-sex attracted, but again, I didn't use the terminology really. I guess I might've used that one, same-sex attracted, if I had to talk about it, but there was no one around to talk about it. And the mm -hmm, side mm -hmm. conversation yeah. was pretty new. So we just... Again, even in college, it was less prominent because I was focused on my friends, more on preparing for the next chapter of life, my studies. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't, yep, yep. I wasn't dating. I wasn't, it just wasn't a big, very prominent thing for me. After college though, when I started to, you know, enter the chapter that's often seen as adulthood in a lot of places, it started to come up more because I'd get more questions about marriage. I had to think about my sexuality maybe more in some ways as, you know, I was, I was, I was like, you know, in my early twenties, this was more like a prominent desire for me at least then. So I had to think about it more. And I think pretty early on, I settled on queer to describe kind of my sexuality. And in, in part, as I mentioned, it was because of that, not pigeonholed, like there's a certain ambiguity, which I appreciated. For a major reason was because for me, I felt like seasons where I've been really attracted towards women and then why I really thought marriage was possible. And they've had probably more seasons in my life where men seem more attractive. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Bi bi bisexual, quote unquote, that didn't seem like for a thing. It never seemed appropriate for me because it seems like more seasonal and it seems like there's been more seasons of attracted to mm -hmm. men mostly. It yeah. What I've kind of... It enjoyed about the term is that you know it it means strange yeah. right like oh that's that's an odd thing that's a queer thing and it's like you know that's just sometimes how i really feel about my sexuality yeah. it's just like it's a little strange i don't know how to pin pigeonhole it there was these two years you know in late college where i was like oh maybe you know the homosexual stuff it went away and now it's all it might be asexual yeah, now. Yeah. And, and then it's just like you know it's this amorphous thing and it's like yeah it is strange so sometimes my housemates uh get a little confused because sometimes i'll i'll use the double uh, entendre to to say oh yeah that that's a little queer or something and meet both meaning having both meetings in mind and they're like david 
no one ever uses that to mean <laughs> strange or weird anymore. They do in some, they do in other Englishes, like in Africa, some African communities, they still use it for that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they do. So it's kind of interesting. Oh, perfect. Yeah, it's perfect. Related to Africa, I also don't use gay, which could maybe, if gay is defined as predominantly attracted to men or the same sex, I guess. Typically men, because men use it more often sometimes, but whatever. That could fit me sometimes, but I don't use it because in the African community that I'm part of, to use it, gay, the particular politics of homosexuality and the quote-unquote gayness, how it emerged in that context is tied to the idea of gay as just someone who's actively currently having same-sex sex. You know what I mean? Like it's a practice or the definition that, rather than a experiential definition. Do you think that's different than the U.S.'s origins or just different from the current U.S. context? Good question. What I understand is in, that in the past in European Christendom, that like homosex or same-sex sex was focused mm -hmm. on practice-oriented definitions. Like, and they used sodomy, sodomy, for example, for certain types of same-sex male acts, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the practice-oriented definition. But you, I think it's not too far to imagine that shifting to sodomite, someone who regularly does that act. You know what I mean? So biblical translations where it used to say sodomites, uh -huh. you know, like don't commit sodomy. It, it might talk about, they would translate it as sodomy. I don't know if sodomites ever made it into a translation mm -hmm. of a specific verse. But some more recent translations had at different points put it as homosexuals. Yeah, true. You know, like mm -hmm. the, the adulterers, the homosexuals. And so they were using that newer word, which came from like the seventies of homosexuals in place of that same kind of idea of like sodomizers, mm -hmm. people who are actively committing this, even though, sorry, if I might've cut you off before it, as I'm thinking through that the U S you know, historically the Christianity is using like sodomy, this action based, mm -hmm. but it became more psychological yes. at the beginning of the 20th century. Right. Yeah, so, right. So that's, that's a big difference. It'd be. It'd be super interesting if someday we have a conversation on African translations of that word. Because in some African communities that had indigenous words for the same concept, like someone who's currently actively having same-sex sex, but mm. it, sometimes it's habit-based, sometimes it was this psychological pattern-based. Some cultural communities don't have an idea for that because there's a few cultural communities, at least a few, maybe more than a few, but some, which having same-sex sex is not known of. Does that make sense? So there's not people sure. who do that. Yep. So yeah, it'd be really interesting somebody to talk about that. But that, this is not this podcast. But yeah, that is a big, yeah, it's a big yeah, question. Yeah. So what I can say, kind of going back to what I was kind of focusing on briefly, I don't use gay because of that. Because in cultural communities that I'm part mm -hmm. of, to use it would mean that I'm, I'm currently actively having same-sex sex, and I want to marry a man. So mm -hmm. that that neither of those fit my, what's actually the case, you know? So I would never use it. Yep, yep. And in fact, I have to mention this to you, David Frank. Well, now I've been part of side B community. Occasionally I've encountered side B people who are like, who are very focused on, like, I am gay. Like that's a big part of their, big part of their way of thinking about themselves aside B Christian. And I'm always a little bit surprised because yep. I'm like, well, okay, that's fine. Like there, there's more. I don't know why that I don't know why that terminology that term is so important to you because from my, the cultural context that I'm kind of operating from with this in particular, we would not use that term ever because they're, they're using it in a different way that I'm using. You know what I mean? So there's 
the word is mm-hmm. used with different meanings, even though it's the same English word that's being employed for a broadly similar thing, but the connotations and the nuance yeah. are quite different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. At least I think it is. That's how I'm interpreting these people that I'm talking about in the side B community from the U.S. Can we just talk about why are we found using these terms helpful in our own lives? And we'll talk more about later reasons why people might use them. Has it been helpful to you to have this term and why? I mean, I would say, you know, the very basic is just, well, it's, it's communication, Mm -hmm. right? Like how do I just communicate my experience to other people in a way that's recognizable and I do that and lenses that make sense to, to these folks, whoever it is. So I use different language with different people. I'm just trying to communicate. And I, I think it, um, has, you know, I've gone to the revoice conference the past maybe two years or whatever. Yeah. Three, I think it's three uh-huh. now. The last one was virtual with COVID yeah. and you know, I've just of like, oh yeah, like here's a group of people who share my experience, you know, they, and, and they'll leave, you know, they don't try to pigeonhole into categories, they'll kind of give the spectrum and of, of terminology. And it's just like, oh yeah, like these are people who I can talk to, who can, you know, we can talk through practicalities of what it looks like to, to follow Jesus, given these shared dispositions or mm-hmm. maybe similar experiences. And it, yeah, it feels relatively simple for me. Sure. What about you? I totally agree. Communications were the key ones. Like just to communicate something that's actually a true part of my life experience, you know, that's the big one. Also, I found it helpful to use a term in order to face, face this part of my experience or my life, like Mm -hmm. in full, straightforwardly with sincerity. So there's something there and that's more part of personal growth sort of topics, but yeah, that's another reason why I have found using this term clearly, because otherwise it seems like I'd fall into modes of types of repression, which usually usually produce bad fruits. That's basically the mm-hmm. alternative that I've had in my life. Yeah, so rather uh, than trying to like pretend that, you know, these, you're not experiencing these attractions mm-hmm. and, you know, so you just kind of try to describe your way around it. You're just like, no, this is here. And, and that my response doesn't need to be shame and running away, but just tackling it head on and letting Jesus define me in the midst of that experience. Yeah. I think by using these terms, at least in some contexts, I could most easily be honest before God and honest before the church, you know, and meeting my friends and my loved ones. Yeah. But it's, it's complicated because I'm not necessarily out quote unquote, how it's in all of my circles. So I get when I'm describing yeah, it yeah. too strongly, but there's something of that honesty and sincerity is something that's been helpful just for me. So that's the only reason why I use these terms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we talked about the reason we might use these terms, but we all, we're both very cognizant that these terms are controversial as we mentioned. I know we're both in church communities yep. where there's controversy about this. We, we've heard about controversy. We know other people who have struggled with controversy about these terms. So let's talk about what are some common arguments against using the common queer terminology, such as queer, lesbian, gay, bisexual. What are some common arguments that usually Christians bring forth? Yeah, I think the biggest one is about identification. Uh, People, uh, it's actually really interesting to look at the kind of history of that word, mm -hmm. identity, and in the ways that. It's really only over the past 
hundred or so years that that's become a big part of our vernacular mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. the West and, and that we're like, oh, well, and, and even I would say huge that you'll see a lot of Christian resources that are talking about your identity in Christ. Yeah, true. And, and we're not saying that just because it's recent, it's wrong by no means, but just that that is how we are doing a lot of our conceptualization. We're trying to figure out who are we? Where's, where's our belonging? What does it mean for me to be, you know, a human man, to be David in particular? Um, these are all, you know, identity questions. And so as people have kind of articulated a lot of this of like, you don't want to idolize your work. You don't want your identity to be sucked up into your work. Your identity is in, in Jesus. That's your first priority. Mm -hmm. And so their concerns is that by using, by identifying, by using these adjectives uh, to say, I am uh, gay, I am queer, I'm a queer Christian, that you would be putting your identity not in Jesus, but be putting it in something else, let alone something that is potentially opposed to God's commandments, to his best way for us. Mm -hmm. I'm just thinking about how for that core identity piece, people often compare it like, well, it, it's tricky because they're, they're doing two arguments kind of at once. Mm -hmm. They're doing, there's sometimes the core identity argument. And then there's the, do you identify with potentially sinful things or explicitly sinful yeah, things? True. Yeah. So there's the core identity piece. Yeah. So then on this identity piece, what do you, I guess, how, how would you explain that part? I think you described it well. It's. It's basically talking about something that's potentially sinful or how can you talk about potentially sinful things in an adjectival form tied to a holy thing? Can you call yourself a mm -hmm. lustful Christian or adulterous Christian or a thieving Christian? You can't is the logical implication. So thus, how could you call yourself a gay Christian? It's, it's quite mm -hmm. common. It's a common way of kind of producing an argument about incompatibility between the holiness of Christianity or the church mm -hmm. and the unholiness of gayness. Though I think this also falls into that trap we're talking about where, where gay is it a practice or the definition, or is it a pattern of experience or attraction definition? You know what I mean? Yeah, that, I, I think that's a, a really big piece on what do we actually mean by the yeah, word? Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Are we describing a psychological thing? And even then of like, well. Is it merely a tendency towards a certain types of sexual attraction? Is it something a little more ambiguous or bigger than mm -hmm, that? Mm -hmm. You know, this could be a, a whole nother podcast episode uh -huh. uh, on in the terms of, so we talk about like sin and how we associate with it. So in the Bible, you, you know, you'll have James calling Christians, you know, he's writing to as sinners, you know, and he calls them to repentance. Sure. And, and Luther takes, even though he didn't like, the book James a whole lot, you know, I think Luther was very big on saying we are si simultaneously saints and sinners mm -hmm. and, and that the fact that we are, we actually have to recognize that we are sinners and then the glory of being absolutely justified as saints becomes all the brighter. Mm -hmm. So we're actually, we're often pretty comfortable with that, depending on kind of which church culture you're in of recognizing, oh yeah, I'm a sinner and I'm mm -hmm. a saint. And I'm, you know, I'm a sinning Christian. That's sure. <laughs> uh, usually par for the course. You don't, you're, it's not your identity, your core identity is, of course, you know, that's been crucified and nailed to the cross. Hallelujah. So 
it's just complicated in terms of like what baggage these words hold. And they're often more about what feelings they invoke than actually about the precise description. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. There's a, there's a moral psychological dynamics working on where they're just, yeah, it's more about the feelings that the term evokes. In some way, this argument, like I don't call myself a lustful or adulterous Christian, so how can you be a gay Christian? It, I think it often does rely on the idea of being gay is a particular bad sort of way of being. <laughs> but it really, again, depends on what they mean by gay as well. So let's, mm -hmm, let's talk more mm -hmm. about this. And so another, uh, there's like, so this identity piece, which has its different kind of angles. And then there's just the really like kind of pastoral reasoning, like the practical implications for personal holiness is this don't associate with something that you're maybe trying to repent from. So if someone is coming out of, you know, various sexually active homosexual relationships, um, then if they're trying to repent of that kind of, you know, those actual like lived out decisions in their lives. And it's like, well, don't, don't hold on to that, you know, hold on to that identity, but don't, don't associate with that anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, recognize kind of like, that's not something that you have to be trapped in. And so it's this kind of aimed at this personal psychology. Sure. What do you think of that? I use that dynamic in my own life for when I'm trying to avoid the sinful passions. I use that when you're describing in my own life sometimes as a framework for approaching, you know, avoiding evil things. But I, I think, mm -hmm. I think there's the, the underlying difference is how I think of what being queer or gay means or is. Mm -hmm. So there's a difference in presuppositions, which I think produces a different way of viewing it overall. You know, yeah. So if you're like, you know, you might say, TJ, I'm not slothful. You know, I love the kingdom of mm -hmm. God. I'm going to work hard today. Mm -hmm. And so you use that kind of like, I'm not going to associate with the slothful feelings I'm having, but I'm going to associate with this. Yep. And so people are like, well, so of course don't use gay. And it's just like, oh, well, that's, I don't mean, you know, lustful. Yeah, I know. I use yep. gay. That is this more complicated thing. Uh, so, so side B uh -huh. Christians usually di di differentiate, I think, like lustful is wrong ways of having sexual desire, right? Or using sexual desire towards wrong mm -hmm. ends. But we don't necessarily think queerness or gayness is exactly that. Or, or you can participate mm. in that, but it, it's distinct from that in some ways as well. It, it talks about what, what your lusts are most likely to yeah, be. patterns. But it mean that you're lusting. Yep, yep. That's so in the same way, this kind of like personal psychology of like, don't associate with this thing to help you really renew your habits and, and your actions. There's also the desire of like, well, what community are you identifying mm -hmm. with? Um, you know, are you associating with the, the wrong group of people? And that might have personal implications, but it's a little bit more on kind of, yeah, I, I don't, I don't want to say it's not virtue signaling. How would you describe it? I think all human groups virtue signal in a sense, but virtue signaling by defining in that way, it just makes it seem like insincere. But. I mean, people just want to try to belong. They want to have moral status and belong to a, a good community that's pursuing the good. So when I'm thinking, they want you to be formed in a good community and be associated with the right, the, mm. what is true, good, and beautiful. So that's what they're trying to encourage you. May I share a story about this? Yeah, please do. So I was, a couple of weeks back, I was talking with my friend from college. I'll call her Emily. And Emily and I, we were talking about 
we'll talk about this in my different podcast, but a re- recent decision by the Anglican Church of North America regarding terminology for its Christians who are queer. And we were talking about it, and then I ended up being side B, because I am side B. And my friend, without knowing the term, she really identified with side Y. And the main reason that she identified with side Y was its, its dislike of using queer terminology. And could because she grew up outside the U.S., very influenced by, as a missionary kid, very influenced by charismatic movements. So she immediately said, using the term gay is tying yourself to spiritual strongholds of darkness and identifying mm. with these spiritual strongholds of darkness or identifying with the kingdom that's not God's kingdom. So it's a belonging, it's a belonging argument related to this point that you're bringing, like you're somehow tying yourself to different communities. As a side B person, I was skeptical and I'm still unsympathetic to that argument, but that's, that was kind of how she, that was her first way of processing it. And that was her main argument against using the terminology of queer. It kind of makes me think of maybe how people first associate with rock and roll. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that one's like, oh, I love rock and roll or, you know, I want to be in a rock band. And there is a generation that just associated that type of music with a specific, you know, the raucous way of life. And, and obviously those things are intertwined, so it's complicated. Uh, but that kind of feels like what's happening here. I think you're right. There's similar dynamics to something like that. So that, that the community mm-hmm. is important. Mm-hmm. Trying, just trying to, because of course we all, all Christians want Christians to be well-formed in God's church, you know? I think that's a pretty baseline Christian desire for ourselves and our people, you know? Anyway, so the queer, the gay becomes complicated with this sort of topic for some people. The overall just kind of biblical argument that as people are trying to discern, okay, you know, I'm unfamiliar with this language. So what can I look into the scriptures to learn about how we use words to describe ourselves. And they will look at, especially in the Old Testament, the New Testament as well, there's huge importance of naming. So maybe a classical example would be Saul when he's confronted with Jesus, you know, by Jesus, and then his name is changed to Paul. Abram and Sarai went from to Abraham and Sarah, and it was indicative of what God was purposing for them. And, and so people say, okay, like, the names we give ourselves are really important. It's part of God's calling in our life. And so we shouldn't put false names on ourselves. I, I think, you know, it's always valuable to to learn about just like these kind of biblical emphases mm-hmm. and, and these principles of naming. And it's, it's a beautiful part, I think, of like just like how God has designed us and how he uh, calls us and 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 even, you know, my own name of David has been a part of my own spiritual formation sure. of like what does it mean for me to live into that name? Mm-hmm. You know, going back to King David as a man, you know, who was after God's own heart. So, so I, I feel that, but I think it's a stretch to, to pull that into every single adjective that you might use to describe yourself. Yeah, I would agree. Also, I just want to make a note. There's also uh, in a lot of the apostolic Christian traditions, like Orthodox, Catholic, Anglican, a lot of times people take on another name at baptism. Mm-hmm. So that's, that kind of. Basically, the point is naming has been important for the church from the biblical tradition and then you know the faith. But yeah, I would also question if and this adjective that we use to describe a pattern of attractions is 
is uh, something that can't be tied to the Christian Christian person. But I mean, that's our perspective as kind of Site B people. So perhaps not unexpected. And, and so kind of connected to that is this like, okay, so maybe it's like, okay, biblical naming, that's a little bit of a stretch, but can I find any biblical reason to use this kind of sexual orientation description language? And they would just say, no, like the, you know, it, the Bible describes our sexuality in terms of male and female and it, and, and Unix, and it talks about your acts, you know, of whether you are committing sodomy or whether you are being faithful in the marriage bed. And so we should keep ourselves to only be using that, those same biblical frameworks in describing ourselves. Is that uh, a good explanation of this kind of like how white people are saying sexual orientation, LGBTQ, you know, words don't seem to map onto uh, those biblical constructions. Yeah, I think it's a fair summary of the the argument that people make. Okay, and and, and then this kind of connects into our last reason that people often bring up to not use these things, and and that would be there's kind of two versions of it. One is just purely, well, LGBTQ. These are this is a social construction, and just by nature of it being socially constructed, is thus itself invalidating of its use and we should get rid of it. And the second, I would say more advanced version of that is, and this would be Rosario Butterfield, I think that does this more thoroughly, is look at, let's actually look at how it was socially constructed and analyze whether that is faithful or can map onto or integrate with a biblical view of sexuality. And I think that is the better way one example I like to bring mm -hmm. up with just social constructions is like people call themselves introverts and extroverts all the time. And that's also a 20th century social construction about how we think about social mm -hmm. engagement. Mm -hmm. And so like <laughs> everything is, you know, language in particular is always under constant social construction. Yeah. And so you can't really exist without it. No, and, humans can't, yeah. and, and even biblical translations are, you know, having to deal with that too as where do you, do you have a quick example of like, just like how biblical translation like has to undergo this, like dealing with our modern self, the social constructions? Yeah, I do. We did this right. So translation automatically puts a layer of like social construction through interpretation on any text. And, and it even like time, the distance of time between then and now put these layers of construction because our terms, even if we translate them, they don't necessarily, they mean broadly the same thing, but there could be nuances or connotations that don't quite match. Even occasionally, a pretty prominent example we talked about, I studied theology and anthropology as an undergrad. And a topic that we sometimes came up with was that in some translation in English, they translated, we said about emotion in the Old Testament, they were translated as the heart. For example, David's heart was turned this way towards this person. But in fact, what, what I was taught is that oftentimes, the Hebrew, they were translating the guts because they thought emotions emanated from the guts, like the stomach area, right? Where it'd be weird in English if you were to translate yeah. that and be like, and David's stomach was turned towards this person. You're like, is he, is he vomiting? Yeah, because is he in contemporary <laughs> Europeans speak English, should I guess the British? Somehow emotions became tied to the heart in that cultural context or in those contexts. 
So now the idiom is heart. So there's a social construction where we say the heart because we're translating a related idiom from one to the other. But of course, it's different, right? It's the same, but it's also there's different emphases, different connotations. It's physically different, different parts of the body that we think are being moved or having emanates, emotion emanates from those parts. Now let's start swaths of human mm-hmm. reality are socially constructed because we use language to approach the world. So it gives us a lot of, I think, just humility as we try to create constructions yeah. to know that these are always, you know, we're trying to provide some mappings onto reality to help us think about it and engage it. And they're not uh, monolithic in terms of, yeah. you know, how they're going to express themselves in every culture, every language. Yeah. I, yeah, I think I really like uh, the maps but, analogy in particular. Yeah, that's right. I'm about to mention Rosaria Butterfield again. Rosaria is an author of a book titled Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. She used to be a very progressive activist in the feminist and lesbian space, and then had an unlikely conversion to Christianity, and now takes what we've talked about in other episodes as a side-why perspective, really wanting to not use this sexual orientation framework at all. So that's why I think Rosaria Butterfield is trying to say, does this Freudian conception of our sexuality mm-hmm. map onto our biblical anthropology? And so she would, and, and she was very active in the queer, particular lesbian movement. Mm-hmm. And, and she knows just like how much they have bought into basically this ideology, this anthropology that your sexuality is primarily defined by its desire. And so it would be horrendous for someone to deny you and your sexuality by denying your ability to fulfill your sexual desire. Mm -hmm. She understands all sexual orientation language as kind of coming out of that that framework and says, well, that framework is terrible. That's absolutely terrible. And so we just need to do away with it. Let's stop using sexual orientation language so that we stop using this prioritized framework. Interesting. I'm actually pretty sympathetic to the project that she's pursuing, like to examine the frameworks and try to like be as faithful Christian as possible. Even though I admit I come to a different like, final judgment than she does about these terms, mm-hmm. but but it's interesting because I feel that I feel that that resonates. Like I'm interested in the that work that she's kind of interested in, not that way of being like making sure our frameworks are as faithful as we can. But I still come to different mm-hmm. different judgment. I think in the end, yeah, and. and and I think the difference maybe that you would say is that while you agree that the idolization of personal individual desire mm-hmm. and that defining our humanity or our sexual desire or sexuality is completely unbiblical, mm-hmm. that it's not inappropriate to still be analyzing the orientations that exist. Yeah, that's well spoken. They're not fundamental. Yep. I definitely agree with that. And I, we have to admit, though, we haven't mentioned this as much, but we alluded to this at the beginning. Every person's experience really shapes the terms they may use. Rosaria mm-hmm. Butterfield came out of a formerly lesbian relationship. She had a conversion, mm-hmm. which really moved her away from the queer community. She even liked the terms. I've met, I've heard of other people who are in a similar position, right? They came, they came yeah. from a background where they were involved in gay sexual relationships or queer sexual relationships or lesbian sexual relationships, whatever. And that was for them, 
very bad experience and a major conversion experience, and I really moved away from using those terms. But then other of us, others of us have been, you know, broadly in the church for a long time. Like I probably became Christian, I was 14, mm-hmm. but I've been in the church for what, you know, 15 plus years since then. But I never had that experience in being involved in negative subcultural communities or whatever, and having a major ex- conversion outside of those, right? Like I was a Christian who was just, as a young Christian, I was 14 and I was just experiencing what it meant to be queer and get you with that as a Christian throughout my life in Christian community. So that, mm-hmm. I think those, those yeah, personal experiences that's... shape you so much about terms. Yeah. The, yeah. Those personal experiences, as well as the generational differences yes. of the culture uh-huh. um, of people whose only experience of gay people were watching the gay pride marches in the seventies or something. Yeah. And then versus teenagers growing up today where, you know, it's going to be like 10 plus percent of your classmates are calling um, themselves queer or, or, or LGBT be, or whatever. Yep. Throwing around yeah. this language. And it's just like, oh yeah, these are just normal other people talking about, you know, like this, this is potentially even pre-puberty, yeah. you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. not a whole, whole lot going on. They're just trying to talk about their feelings. This kind of moves us into our next kind of question or topic. Why has the U.S. church focused so much on terminology? And I bring this up because this is the biggest topic people want to talk about sometimes. And I'm always confused or amused because I'm like, there's so many more complex, interesting topics in the conversation. I have a hypothesis. Christians what do you think it is? Sexuality. But it's just like, why don't you focus on this? Yeah, tell me. Go ahead. What's your hypothesis? The the American church is actually trapped in the, in the same cycles of identity politics mm-hmm. that the entire U.S. culture yeah. is. That we're, we get really obsessed with identifying who's in and who's out. Who's, you know, conservative enough or who's progressive enough in, you know, politics. Mm-hmm. Or in the church, it's, it's who's orthodox, you know, and, and faithful and biblical sure. enough. Versus who's outside. And, and those, it's not that it's inappropriate to, to identify those lines. And I think there's importance, but we, I, I think there's a, yeah, of just like people wanting to make super clear that they're not associating with any unbiblical doctrine. And so they just want to create very large boundaries. Mm-hmm. I, I, that's how I read the situation. Sure. I definitely, I agree with the focus on the more psychology of having a strong purity emphasis. Like that, I think that's a pretty prominent way of like engaging it. And also because in the U.S. and also in other communities, but we'll talk about the U.S. now, Christians see, see themselves like besieged by the LGBT movement or the lobby or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that makes them like we're ideological enemies, quote unquote. So we need to be like, no, 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 no. Don't be part of them. Yeah, so it's not just separation, but it it is actually a defense yeah. to say we don't want this idolatrous ideology mm-hmm. uh, to be inflicted upon our church, our community, and especially our children. Yeah. And so I think they they have they have you know valid concerns for not wanting their children to adopt uh, very unbiblical assumptions. Yeah, but it's hard. The thing is, for those of us who are in the middle, somehow, like that's where it gets a little bit complicated, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and the church has not often engaged us well about these things, at least in my experience, it hasn't. And from what I hear, the people who are older than us, it also hasn't from them as well. So can I also bring this mm-hmm. up? Mm-hmm. Actually, when I talk to Christians who, like my friend Emily, who really don't like these terms, I tend to think it's also because they don't know many queer people. Does that make sense? 
I'm not out to Emily, so she doesn't yeah. know that I'm queer. But over time, if you have friends who are queer, you just get to know them more as people rather than just like the ideological other or the culturally repugnant yeah. other. When you know someone, then you have to actually have to engage them as a person and figure out the nuances. <laughs> so if I come up to Emily and I'm like, Emily, I'm, you know, queer and I'm side beat. I, I, I'm curious what you would think. And I, I wonder if that would kind of and, shape, and I, shape how she thinks about terminology, maybe. Let's wrap up with kind of, uh, lastly, talking about what are reasons why queer or, you know, same-sex attractive people mm -hmm. might want to use these terms. Sure. So I'm going to give, I'm going to read a succinct, a very short, at least, um, quote from Mark Yarnhouse, his co-author, Dr. Oya Zaporets. Sorry if I mispronounced your name, Dr. Oya. She wrote a book, they wrote a book called Costly Obedience, what we can learn from the Selbike Christian community a couple of years back. They're psychologists and they're kind of side B allies. But in this blog post that Mark Yamos wrote on his own website, which is a thing called Psychology Christianity, he provides five reasons, sorry, six reasons why in his research, side B people might want to use this language of a queer, gay, bi, lesbian, whatever. So I'm just going to read them. Right now, this is what he says. The main reasons why celebrate Christians have discussed the rationale for this language. These include, number one, the simplicity and clarity related to using the common vernacular. Number two, a realistic alternative to not reducing their experience to same-sex attraction when they are told to only describe themselves as same-sex attracted, as it overlooks personality and other experiences that are seen as captured better with other terms. Three, to avoid association with an ex-gay narrative, which they and or others they know have experienced as problematic for a variety of reasons. Four, to recognize some commonalities with members of the broader LGBTQ plus community. Five, for missional purposes in terms of relating to the broader LGBTQ plus community. And six, to be a visible presence of someone that they would have wanted to know existed in the world when they were younger. So what do you think about those, David Frank? Did those, any of those reasons connect with your experience or resonate with you? Yeah. I mean, the, I would say the kind of fifth reason mm -hmm. was the one that I started with, just that missional sure. purpose of like, I just am trying to connect and be relatable. Yeah. That could, goes into one of just simplicity of, of communication. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't have, yeah, a particular with number three, that kind of historical ex-gay narrative. I don't have a, a huge, not really baggage with that, but I've met people who have, mm -hmm. who this one wonderful dude who was older than I, he said SSA was his slave name <laughs> <That's funny>. <laughs> <laughs> because it, it did feel like so much bondage of shame uh -huh. by being kind of forced to that yeah. language. And, and Andy, this is a man who's faithfully following the Lord as a celibate gay Christian. Mm -hmm. What about you? I, really, I definitely have one simplicity and clarity related to using the common vernacular. I think that was the first one for me. But then again, to, yeah, I'm, I'm into the, I'm really interested in like kind of the, how we think about the homogeros, like I think about like love for the same sort of the same basically. And mm -hmm. I so I'm interested in the theoretical conversation, the theological conversation. So I, I said that sometimes doesn't feel good to me because I think same sex attractive can also be reductive. Yeah. Can't, it doesn't, not for everyone. Yeah. So yeah, I, I feel like I've heard you talk about that where like. 
as you did talk about your queer sexuality, and it's talking not just about your orientation of your potential lust, uh-huh. if you were to, to you know, sinfully yeah. lust, but it's talking more about this orientation of, of your heart or disposition towards relationships or the world. And even I've heard people talk about it, how it's part of their aesthetic interest in art yeah. that they feel is under this umbrella of the word yeah. gay. You just mentioned really kind of ties to how I perceived it. Because even before I was, I had sexual desire, I really had desire to connect with other, when I was young, like other boys, basically. They just be good friends, best friends, you know, brothers like that. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. I definitely feel that. There's a little bit of the ex-gay narrative. I haven't also, I didn't go through ex-gay. I just know all the people who have done it. And then basically the mission off. So the big one for me also, number one and number five the simplicity and clarity related to vernacular and the missional purposes. Mm-hmm. But I think it does mean something to someone who's far from the church or is not a Christian. They've never been in the church in any way to hear that, oh, like we're common. There's a commonality between us because yeah, for better, for worse. And this is also another podcast, but I usually think that being queer, it's like, it's, it's a prominent part of my experience. Not the most important, not my core quote unquote whatever, but just it's, it's, it shapes all parts of my life, or at least most parts of my life, you know, that's what I, that's what mm. I think of it. In, is it. And and the, the last one, I, I think it contributes the last one being, being a visible presence of someone they would have wanted to know existed in the world when they were mm-hmm. younger. That speaks to more of why I think I, I try to be yeah. out mm-hmm. in a, in a, you know, like, yeah, moderate manner or whatever. It's not like plastered all over social media or something, but it's something that I try to make a like, uh, acceptably known fact. I give people permission to, to share that part of my experience pretty readily. I want to trust people with that because yeah, I, I want people, you know, youngsters in my church growing up that if they're growing up and, and they, you know, have an experience or have some feelings and they're like, oh no, am I gay? That if they're like, oh. You know, I've heard David talk about, Mr. David talk about yeah. that or something mm-hmm. or, you know, and, and Mr. David's still, uh, church, you know, trying to he's single God. and he's following yeah. Jesus and he's, yeah, in a church. And so that they, it, there are a lot of people where when they realize that, oh man, this, this gayness in my life and my sexuality seems like something I just can't get rid of. That means I must not be able to be a Christian anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's just really sad and i've also encountered people who make that dichotomy so yeah i think that's an important reason as well like i could be christian or be gay Mm -hmm. you know what i mean yeah yeah let's kind of wrap up what what kind of final summarizing thoughts do we have about things together the side perspective related to these terms like Mm -hmm. things you want people to know yeah, I, I think the summarizing, especially, you know, say someone hopped in on this episode uh, of the side B perspective being that that where we don't care about terminology, ultimately, mm-hmm. there's this yeah great speaker at Revoice. She's in a panel discussion, uh, Rachel Gilson, and she was just I think she might be a literature major or something. I'd say like we have no idea what language is going to be being used in 15 years, you yeah. know, let alone in 50. And and so it's just, it's super contextual to just the moment we're in. And so please feel no pressure to, to use or not use a language. Just 
on some type of like arbitrary principle. But that it actually, it is a communal and pastoral of like, oh, what is the psychology, you know, like that I need to work through in terms of like how, how I'm feeling about it and what it means for me and what it means for my community and, and how, how am I just communicating? So it, it's, it's, it's a matter of wisdom yeah, is, is kind of how we talk about it. And so we think that some of these concerns and arguments against, they're not necessarily like completely invalid, but I don't think that they're invalidating of ever being able to use the term. Yeah, I agree. And I, when I say it's like a prudential and pragmatic judgment with your community to be, have a wise terminology or wise term to describe yourself, you know, that's what I think it is. I've argued this in the past, but side B, as you mentioned, doesn't mandate any terms. Again, prudential and pragmatic oriented towards wisdom mm -hmm. fitting in your particular contexts. So yeah, I think that's kind of where we're at. And yeah, yeah, I find this is the most freeing of the options on offer. We get rid of terminology from the various sides. That's my position or my perspective. And, and, so, and I think part of that freedom mm -hmm. of like true Christian freedom, you know, it, it's not just a, a freedom from enslavement, but it's freedom unto, you know, worship and loving what Talk is on. good. And by not having to, you know, stress out about what language I'm using, it allows me to focus on the practicalities of, of following Jesus yeah. and of much more, uh, productive conversations there's a there's a time and a place for this and and at some level we all need to work through it especially queer christians but it's it's not the end all be all we're all language we're always going to be a little bit miscommunicating confusing one another needing to clarify needing to ask clarifying questions and that's fine there's nothing perfect mm. option out there and even in a very small context you know it's still just, it is what it is. And, and so let's address it as needed and then move on to saying, what, what's, what's Jesus calling us to do today? How are we to love God and love neighbor more? And yeah, and, and that's what I am eager for Christians to do, but I think it is valuable that we do spend some time just explaining because people, you know, part of people's desiring to honor God is their reasons of trying to create these boundaries and such. So I get that. I respect that. And I hope we can hear each other out. Well, I think with that, thanks for those great words. We should wrap up. Okay. Bye everyone.